Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode featuring Jenny Wood, founder of Google's Own Your Career, is sponsored by CPASS Foundation. CPASS Foundation, which stands for Creating Pathways and Access for Student Success, was created to attract, encourage, educate, guide, and increase the number of promising yet underrepresented Illinois students in STEM and STEAM-related professions. STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. The A in STEAM adds arts to the mix. CPAS Foundation is committed to providing a strong educational foundation and exclusive access to career development resources for students. Visit cpassfoundation.org to learn more. Welcome to the Honest Field Guide podcast, a weekly show dedicated to winning in entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Ginger Birkenbuehl. I'm the CEO of Burt Creative, a leadership, brand strategy, and visual identity agency dedicated to helping scale brands and assist with their adaptability with the market. On my show, you get to eavesdrop in on intimate conversation with business leaders and inspired entrepreneurs designed to give you tips and strategies so your own business can thrive. Subscribe and join me each week for laughter, inspiration, and honest stories. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to my show, The Honest Field Guide Podcast. I am your host, Ginger Birkenbuehl. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You could be listening to anything in the world. You could be doing anything in the world, but you're choosing to listen to my podcast, The Honest Field Guide. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my show on Apple Podcasts or search The Honest Field Guide Podcast and look for Google Podcasts where you can listen to my show right from your browser on any device. Please share my podcast with your friends too. The more people that hear my show, the better for my guests and the better for me. And as always, please leave a review of my show on Apple Podcasts. They pay more attention to my show. Come on, Apple, pay attention. Okay, out with the show. So today I'm speaking with Jenny Wood, founder of brand new career advisory platform, Own Your Career, that she created and still runs while working at Google. This program has trained thousands of people on acing a job search, building relationships, personal branding, effective email writing, landing the right mentor, and maximizing workplace influence. But let me tell you about the first time I heard about Jenny Wood. I was participating in a conversation that was taking place on an email thread, and it focused on helping Jenny decide 
what logo would best represent her project own your career? And I remember getting this email thread with a polished presentation of different visual ideas. And my first thought was, okay, here we go again, crowdsourcing for free graphic design. But then I kept reading the thread and I discovered that the ask was respectful. It was authentically curious. And it felt to me like Jenny was like, you know what? I really can't decide what works. I'm not sure about what I'm doing. I really need your feedback. Can you help me? She was authentically asking to collaborate. And I ended up responding with my opinion on the logo because I'm opinionated. I'm a brand designer and I share feedback around what I thought would resonate the best culturally for a broader audience. But sometimes when you share critical feedback, you never know how the receiver will respond. So feedback can be hard to take when it's about your personal vision. Not with Jenny. She responded right away with a thank you and more questions. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Welcome, Jenny. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ginger. I love your show and I am just honored to be here. And I love that anecdote you brought up. So thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, so... Typically on my show, I start off by asking about early experiences in childhood, which influenced your career. But this time, I want to make note that you're a smart and interesting woman that leads a large operations team that helps drive tens of billions of revenue with an amazing U.S. headquartered corporation called Google. Google's doing so many cool things, verticals in every spaces. I mean, doing great things, net zero, climate change, sustainability, AI, inclusion, robotics. It's a beautiful and wild at Google. I love Google. I really want to know, just to get the elephant out of the room, how in the world did you land a job at Google? Oh my gosh. How I landed a job at Google is so on brand. So my whole mission is to help people chase what they want unapologetically. And I had spent a year in 2006 living abroad. I came back and wanted to get a job at Google because Google was in the news with their lava lamps and their beanbag chairs and their primary colors. And I had to get a big person's job. I was 26 at the time. And I thought, all right, I don't know what I want to do, but Google seems fun. I want to work someplace that seems fun. And so I applied online and heard nothing. And then I realized that I had to chase it a little bit more than simply applying online. So I created a reason to walk into the Google Denver office and plop myself down on the couch in the lobby until someone came out and spoke to me. And <laughs> Google was in rented office space at the time. So there was a receptionist that was not a Google employee. And I really did genuinely think there had been an issue with my formatting when I uploaded my resume because the, I don't know, for some reason I thought that the formatting maybe had gone awry when I uploaded my resume by applying online. So whether that was me just convincing myself there was an issue with the formatting or there really being an issue with the formatting, I created a reason to truly chase what I wanted. So I hopped in my car with my printed out resume and drove over to the Google office and sat there until they would let me speak to somebody. And I said to the receptionist, I applied for a role and I need to speak to somebody because there was a problem with my application. And she said, oh, you can just drop off your resume. It's really not protocol for someone from Google to come out and speak to you. And I said, oh, if I could just get two minutes, I really need to talk to somebody personally because of this issue. And I basically was professionally persistent. Professionally that is amazing. Persistent, until someone named Elizabeth came out and spoke to me. And I explained my situation and I had just worked at Harvard Business School doing research. I had just worked abroad, which is very googly. And so I think it seemed like I had a decent package to bring to the table. And I was my normal bubbly, friendly self. And the next day I got a call from the recruiter and the rest was history. So oh my God, the next day you got a call from a recruiter. 
you know, it's because it, what do they say? 80% is just showing up. I literally showed up. I stayed until someone spoke to me. And here I am nearly 16 years later. And it's so on brand for me because I truly and fundamentally feel, Jinja, that your day is not defined by big decisions. It's not defined by the 20-year plan, the 10-year plan, the five-year plan. I mean, so many leaders don't even have that. I think it's a myth that we all have this big grand plan. Your day is not defined by big decisions. It's defined by a million tiny actions, emails that could be more powerful, conversations that could be more purposeful, moments that could be more impactful, getting in your car and driving to Google to see if somebody might come out and speak to you. It was a tiny action I took that had colossal impact. And that to me is so much of how to chase what you want and how to be successful. It's these micro moments that have maximum impact. I really love that because when I was in high school, there was a woman that was one of my advisors, teachers, and her purpose was to teach teenagers about entrepreneurship. And I will never forget when she taught me, when you go on and apply for a job and keep in mind, I'm you know 16 or 17. And she's like, whenever you apply for a job and you walk into an office, yes, ask for an application, but always ask to speak to the manager first, Love that. <laughs> you know, speak to the manager and ask for the application and have a conversation. And that is something that I have let drive me my entire career. And I'm not suggesting that people that are under a manager are not worthy or valuable or shouldn't be spoken to. I'm just saying that when I was that age, it instilled in me a confidence that I had to learn that confidence very, very early. I could never take a backseat. I could never shrink myself. I had to stand up straight look someone in the eye and give a solid handshake. But it's been difficult in the pandemic to do some of the things that you're describing you did to get a job at Google and the things that I did to learn how to be confident so that I could get a job as I was going through my teenage years on to college. But you know, now that we've got the whale out of the room, I'm not even gonna say elephant because Google is a whale. It's a wonderful whale. I wanna really talk about your early life. I always wanna learn what informs, especially a woman in business, what informs her sort of experience in corporate. And I wanna know what kind of world you grew up in. I was not around entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial people. I was around people that had regular jobs. My mother was a teacher and my father was a civic engineer for the government, you know, just nobody had a business. So tell me about your parents. Were they whispering your ear at night as they tucked you in and, you know, say, oh, become an entrepreneur, become an entrepreneur. Like what happened? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh, what were my parents whispering in my ears when I went to sleep? That is a great question. I mean, I could think of so many answers. To that. <laughs> so many answers. Well, that's the work ones okay. are the important ones, right? <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna tell you one from my dad and I really struggled with it, but it is relevant for this conversation. So a whisper from my dad, even though it makes me kind of cringe to repeat it here because it's not always true, but it was formative for me. And that was, unless you're the lead dog, the view never changes. So that is some like serious competitive spirit that was instilled in me early on in life. So it definitely speaks to my drive, but I really did struggle with that. I mean, my dad's a wonderful person, my mother too, and taught me so much. But what was the struggle though? I mean, were you struggling because you weren't visualizing yourself as being in the front or you were like trying to live up to his desire and expectation for you to be a leader? What was the struggle? I've always been a leader, Ginger. I've always wanted to be a leader. I've loved being a leader. So it is naturally aligned with what I enjoy doing and do feel that I'm good at. 
but sometimes it is appropriate to be the follower or sometimes you don't have to always be the leader. So maybe something around the appropriateness of sometimes it feels right to be the leader and sometimes it feels right to be second in line. But my father was entrepreneurial. My father ran a construction company. He was a general contractor. My mother was a psychotherapist, licensed clinical social worker. So really interesting balance. My father is Hungarian. My mother is from New York and my paternal grandparents survived the Holocaust. And after that, my father escaped from communist Hungary by walking through the forest at night with one shopping bag and his family's life savings, their 10 coins sewn inside my father's ragged teddy bear. And my family survived the Holocaust because of two things. One, their tenacity, and two, the kindness of strangers helping them. So from a young age, I was shown how tenacity translates to success and how success becomes more fulfilling when you help others. That's so incredible. Of, I mean, I think those are more the whispers, I would say. Like that one line or came to mind for me about, unless you're the lead dog, the view never changes. But I think the quote unquote whispers throughout life were one, tenacity, and two, the kindness of strangers who helped them. And those were survival tactics to them, those tenacity and kindness of strangers that helped them survive. And now I try to impart those same values on myself. And I think the lesson of the kindness of strangers sparked my desire to lift others as I climb both at Google and, and outside. Wow, that's an, an absolutely incredible story. I hear a song lyric in there, you know, walking through a dark forest with, you know, coins you know, wrapped in a jacket. I don't know. That's just like, I'm definitely going to think about that to inspire me for the next song on my next record, for sure. I really appreciate you sharing that very personal story. It's harrowing and scary and terrifying. And I can understand, you know, through your whole entire life, having your parents share things with you quietly because of what they went through. I want to move forward a little bit to high school. So when I was growing up as a kid, my mom, her whole mantra was, you know, just watch out the company you keep because that determines your future. Your personal reputation is something that you can never change. It'll follow you forever. What was going on with you in high school? Who did you hang out with? Like what type of people did you surround yourself outside of your immediate protective family? You know, how did you navigate things? What did you do? I was very independent. I was on one end of the bell curve of not caring as much as the typical high school student about social norms, a big clique. I was always happy with, you know, a couple of close friends. I was pretty out there in a way that I was almost ridiculed. So take this, for example, do you remember TCBY? We're probably mm -hmm. a similar generation, this country's best yogurt. So yeah, my favorite flavor, by the way, is white chocolate mousse. White chocolate mousse. How can you go it's wrong with white chocolate It's the best one. There's mousse? no other flavor that tastes like that in the, on the planet. There's, it doesn't, there's no other flavor. Anyway, go ahead. I, I, I grass on that one. <laughs> so here I am with a couple of friends at TCBY. And all of a sudden, I decide to break out in song in a TCBY full of pages. <laughs> and I belted at the top of my lungs the national anthem. And my friends were mortified. And I don't remember why I did it. I don't remember what the goal was, but I remember feeling I didn't care if I was different and I didn't care if I stood out. I mean, that was a conscious thought or are you looking back and thinking that's what you thought? I actually think that this was a conscious thought at the time, which is unusual. I was a pretty weird kid. I was really anxious. I was very high stress. But what I think that developed into is this realization that success comes to those who are a bit much 
because a bit much can lead to much more. And in high school, you're kind of groomed or it's the evolutionary psychological norm to go along, to get along and to not stand out and to just sort of be a lemming like everybody else. And in high school, at that time, I actively remember not wanting to be like that and probably having a decent level of confidence. But in some ways, it made me feel very ostracized because I felt so different from everybody else who wanted to fit in in high school. So I have to imagine that that lack of caring to some extent has helped shape who I am and helped me be successful because I basically embraced my inner weird. I'm curious about everything. I meet people in airports. If it's a, a networking opportunity, I go above and beyond to achieve what I really want. I ask for things that nobody else does. Like your example of going in as a, a young person and asking for the manager, even if you're asking for an application to apply to a job, which is unusual, but that would be so on brand for me. It wasn't conscious with me. I was just being who I was. I wasn't thinking to be different. I just was. And I was told all the time by people when I was growing up, you are so weird. You are so different. You are this, you are that. There must be something about you that didn't let that stop you. And that's the only reason why I ask you if it's conscious or not, because, you know, with all the peer pressure that you experience in elementary school and high school, and even with teachers that try to kind of push you back or tamp you down or reduce your energy, there has to be something within you that allows you to not allow that to take place or not allow that to penetrate your spirit and your psychological space. I mean, that had to have helped you get through college. So after high school, you went to college. Where did you go to college? What did you study? And whatever you studied in college, is that what you thought you were going to study? Did you want to study it or did you take the path of least resistance? Like what happened when you got into the college space? I went to Brandeis University just outside of Boston and I studied economics and international business. Is that what I wanted to study? Actually, no, but similar-ish. I wanted to study math, but they didn't mm. have a math major. So economics was the most numbery thing I could do that was close. And I absolutely loved economics, which is interesting because the last few years, especially as I've built Own Your Career at Google from zero to tens of thousands of people benefiting from it and started helping people outside of Google get what they want unapologetically. These are two very different things, but through line here is that I simply love to help lift others. It's I'm in such a creative space now. I've never considered myself an entrepreneur, never. Like, I don't know the nuances of Series B funding, right? Like, I, I, don't, I always thought of entrepreneurs as like venture capital and like sophisticated business plans until a friend of mine said, an entrepreneur is just somebody who makes things happen for themselves. I'm like, oh, that is definitely me. I'm like entrepreneur numero uno with that definition. So it's interesting to reflect on that very, very left-brained tendency in college and in high school. Like I was so bad at reading. I was so bad at language arts. I just really struggled and felt nothing gives me more anxiety than the idea of reading out loud. So the math and the economics was very much on brand for me when I went to college. And then yet here I am doing this incredibly creative stuff, writing and posting every day on LinkedIn, right. writing it's my amazing. first book. It's really, really fun to see the evolution when you become less dominant in one half of your brain and more dominant in the other. You talk about less dominant in one and more dominant in another. I mean, I think that, again, when I ask about were you intentional about your decision on what to study in college, I think we do follow paths 
of least resistance because we're following a path that our families and our culture and our community expects us to follow. And so then we don't necessarily nurture sides that we don't realize could thrive, you know, and coming later in life is absolutely beautiful. It's perfect. It's fine. I mean, you don't have to have all your decisions made before you're 25. So I love that you're emerging now and experiencing the joy of entrepreneurship and you're working at the perfect company to do it. It sounds like you loved college. Do you feel like you wished you had done something else in college or do you feel like what you did is absolutely perfect because if you hadn't done it, you wouldn't be here? I actually think one of the most formative parts of college for me was playing lacrosse. In college, I played goalie and I absolutely loved being a goalie. And the reason I loved it is because I wasn't scared and it allowed me to flex and grow in ways that made me even less scared. A lacrosse ball is a really hard object and those things travel fast. And you're well protected with a lot of padding, but there was something about having these hard lacrosse balls pummeled at me, you know, swing after swing in a game that perhaps helped me lean into fear. Wow. And I mean, we're talking like a physical fear. I mean, I would have bruises. They'd be like welts and, you know, maybe four inches round circles on my legs and my arms where there wasn't padding. And now as I write my book, there's a concept in the book around letting fear be your guide and not being scared of failure. And again, we're talking about a physical fear, like physical fear of a lacrosse ball hitting your thigh versus the fear of not getting a job or the fear of this podcast not going well or the fear of speaking in front of your VPs to present your big project and you choke or whatever it is. So I think there is something around being goalie, having a bunch of hard, fast flying lacrosse balls coming at me and just picking back up and continuing to go and letting fear be my guide. Because if you want to double your success rate, I highly recommend tripling your failure rate because it's when you learn, it's when you grow, it's when you develop, it's when you launch and iterate, it's when you build character, you flex your growth mindset, etc. So I want to talk a little bit more about sports and the concept of male figures, right? So sure. you are in spaces that are traditionally dominated by guys. You're talking about math. You're yeah. talking about economics. Yeah, you're tech. talking about lacrosse and sports. Yeah. So um, when you were in- I don't know about entrepreneurialism. Um, mm, a lot okay. of women start Fair. their own businesses. They've always had businesses from their kitchen tables. So women actually have a lot of business, whether they recognize- their entrepreneurial mindset or not is the question. Right. Like I didn't, like I just I know. said, like I, I realized yeah. I always have been entrepreneurial yes. and I would never, and I, it's funny that you challenged me on it not being male dominated. I love that you did because I still feel like I would say it is. And so you're now shifting my perspective no. and people can't see this, but you're shaking your yeah, head now. No, no. Women have always worked savory, oh, yeah, and unsa sure. savory jobs and unsavory yes. jobs. Women don't have financial <laughs> independence. We've always been working and making our own money, trying to, but not yeah. really being liberated and being free. But before I go into that, which we may not have time for, I want to ask you about male figures in your life. So this is important for women. And I'm going to just say 
my own personal opinion about this, but I have a lot of women, leaders, advisors, guides, mentors. I've had them all my life. I've always had men in my life that have helped give me direction, explain things to me, teach me the language of men in business. And I am talking business. They've helped me see things very differently and have really provided a pathway for me to get through certain places and become successful. So I'm one of those women that I love women mentorships and guides and things like that, but I also am not afraid of looking and seeking out male figures in my life. So the male figures in your life, how have they helped guide you and advise you, whether it's spoken or not? What's been the sort of male experience for you? And you know, I know there's a lot you can talk about here, but if there's a message around this, what could it be? You know, Not just a message to give to people, but what's happened to you that's helped you become who you are? Because let me just say one more thing. And I know I'm yeah. having a run on sentence right now, no, it's great. but my God, lacrosse and you're also a pilot. Come on. So you got to talk to me about this. What is your career experience and college experience around male information, men? Oh my gosh. I know so, it's big. It's I know, so I know, girl, it's big. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's big. It's fun when it's big. It's fun when it's big and messy and amorphous. And I mean, going. it's just like, wow. Like you gave me a buffet. We need, another, gave, we need another podcast for this. Okay. You do. You gave me a buffet. Let's see. What do I want to pick up from the buffet? First of all, my pilot instructor was a female. Jane and she was what, amazing. Jane? Yeah, Yay. Jane. Okay. Uh, so that was fantastic, and that was intentional. I think. Be- I mean, talk about a male-dominated space. Yes, that, there's no women pilots. Yeah, there are six. Six They're percent struggling. of pilots. Six percent of pilots yes. are women, and so I really felt like I would be intimidated having a male teacher, and okay. I'm so glad I had a female teacher. Now, let's talk about really important male figures in my life. My dad was a huge one, a huge one. I just admired what he did as a businessman. And my dad was an Eastern European tough businessman. So I think I learned a lot of my no BS from him. And as a woman, it can be hard. There's the double bind. There's like the challenge of wanting to both be nice and liked and kind and considerate, but then also making the tough calls, making the hard decisions, giving the tough feedback, having a hard line, negotiating fervently. I think Kim Scott said it best in Radical Candor, you want to care personally, and that's something that's always been critical to me, but you want to challenge directly. So Radical Candor to me of caring personally and challenging directly is just the sweet spot of effective leadership. But my dad was a huge influence on me and in a really positive way. He pushed me really hard. It's almost like he was my first sponsor. The difference between a mentor and a sponsor is mentors talk to you and sponsors talk about you. Sponsors are the people who advocate for you behind closed doors. And given how much I knew my father believed in me and would always talk me up to others, even as a small child, and how he was so proud of me and thought that I was smart and capable and talented, that type of pumping up as a small child stuck with me. So he was the OG sponsor. My mom too, but my mom just has a different personality. She's a psychotherapist. She's very thoughtful and kind and centered. I mean, think of all the words you'd associate with a therapist and that's my mom. So it was easier to get my mom's praise than my father's praise, which is why I probably put the, I'm so close to both of them, but why I put my father's quote unquote sponsorship in a little bit of a different category because he was not sugarcoating anything to anybody ever. It sounds like he made you not be afraid 
really to work side by side with men or not not like working with men or not like learning from men. I mean, he really raised you to be receptive to male guidance and information because there are women in spaces that are, for whatever reason, you know, culture, the way we're raised, the world we live in, the countries we're raised in, the sort of male-female dynamic, this all impacts how a woman can receive information from a man in the corporate space. I'm talking the corporate space, which is where you and I sit. Your father gave you a good foundation to navigate that world effectively because I don't know, like if you're not willing to seek out men in workplaces as a woman, I don't know how you can in the corporate world get ahead. You've got to find men that are willing to help you. I mean, how does a woman find even a male sponsor? What kind of characteristics do you have to look for to say, you know what? That guy looks like someone that can help me. I need to find a way to get to him. You know, that's really important. I've never thought of it this way. And I think you're nailing it that I just never thought of myself for many, 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 many years as different. I never mm. thought of myself as No, Jenny, than. you are definitely different. <laughs> I mean, come on now. Like, you need to stop thinking that because you are definitely different. You are extra in a very good way. That's in so an funny. inspirational way. So I never really <laughs> knew what the word extra meant until somebody, a, an editor I'm working with on my book, he called me that. Oh yeah, totally extra. I'm always called extra. I love it. It's a compliment to me. It's such a compliment to me. I love I had the to, extra. I had to look it up. I had to look up what that word you meant. You did? Yeah, I did, I'd never heard it. I think it's, I think I'm too old. Um, You're to not too old, means. Jenny. And then he was pushing me on the concepts in the book and what helps me be successful. And I said, I don't know, isn't this just what everybody does? And he said, no, you can't see the back of your brain. No, that's why you and I are having this conversation because I'm like, I got to talk to her because she's a lot. So, but getting back to, you know, a woman like yourself, what was your experience with looking for men or did you look for them to help you in your career or what was your male experience like in the corporate space? It's always been really positive. So for example, we had a speaker who was a leader at Google and I thought he was phenomenal. I thought he was smart and articulate, funny and compelling. And I just really connected with him sitting in the room as he was speaking to us as a guest. And he walked out of the room and I got up from my chair. I followed him out of the room and I said, hi, I'm Jenny. We've never met, but will you be my mentor? I am so inspired by you. And he was much more senior than I was. And he has been a pivotal influence. I mean, so that's what I'm saying. Like you walked up to someone and asked. That's what you did. You just, you walked up to someone and asked. And I think, you know, that's something I want to understand. I find sometimes that women have trouble asking for things like that, especially walking up to a man in a corporate environment, a buttoned up corporate environment saying, can you help me? You know, you were able to do that. And I, listening back to your earlier story, I can understand why you had the courage to do that. There is a part of you that shuts off the I care to the I don't care because I have a goal and I need to get somewhere and I need help. You know, how do you cultivate that in someone if they don't naturally have it? So I'm going to give you a surprising answer here. But to me, the way I cultivate it is going back to anxiety that I had talked about and the lack of fear of failure, because to me, the anxiety sets in when there's uncertainty. So I would rather have an answer, even if the answer is no, than sit wondering what might have been. So it's not that I'm free from stress or discomfort. It's just that 
the particular way for me, the discomfort shows up is through uncertainty. And that's exactly what happened the day I chased the stranger off the subway who ended up being my husband now, father of my five and seven year old. As I was sitting on the subway on this packed train, looking at this good looking guy 30 feet away from me, and I decided to follow him off the train. And people say, how did you do that? How did you muster up the courage to do that? And to me, it was such the obvious choice for me personally, because so I strike up a conversation with him and he says, oh, sorry, I'm married. Thank you for the nice compliment that you want my number. I'd rather have him say, no, I'm married than me have to sit and wonder what could have been. That is so much more anxiety producing than him simply saying, no, no biggie. I'm never going to see him again. I go on with my life. It's a win-win. I have my answer. That's my win. His win is he gets to go home to his wife and kids and be like, I still got it, honey. I got I love it. the subway. I like, love it. It makes the world better for everybody. I mean, it sounds like you practice in real life. You practice yeah. getting courage in real life. You know, you're not practicing in front of a mirror. You're not practicing by writing. You're actually going through life and practicing and experiencing and being curious and experimenting and seeing what's going to happen. And that's how you're figuring things out. Yeah. It is. It's a lot of A-B testing. This goes back to the left brain tendencies I have, the economics, the math. I love data. I would rather know, like, what do they say? It's not win or lose, it's win or learn. That mm -hmm. learning is data to me. Okay, so this LinkedIn post was a flop. I don't think of that as a failure. I think of deconstructing it to understand, did I use the wrong hashtags? Was the picture off? Was it too long form versus short form? Did I not engage enough with the people who commented? To me, it's not win or lose, it's win or learn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's always win or learn. I wanna ask you about Own Your Career. So sure. this is your platform that you created within Google. And there are many, many women in companies right now that want to create something and they think about it, but then they're like, I don't know, like I work here, can I do this? They're looking around like, will anyone help me? Like, who's doing this? Am I alone? What's going on? What's going on? And oh, you know, by the way, this is my property. How can I do it? I'm really kind of curious around your thought process working for a company as large as Google. You have this amazing idea. Why didn't you take it away and say, I'm gonna run off and do this on my own? I mean, what sort of environment and signals did you get that said to you, I'm going to build this here. It's going to work. I'm going to stay. I have these amazing advisors and sponsors. I have beautiful people around me. I'm in an entrepreneurial environment. I'm now realizing I'm an entrepreneur. You could have picked this up and walked away. So tell me what happened in that space, because I want you to share it in the context of other women that are thinking along the lines of you were when you started in the beginning. You know, should I stay? Should I go? Should I do it here? Should I not? Should I give up? You know, what does that look like? Yeah, stay or go was never even a consideration for me. It was stay, stay, stay. I love Google. And part of the reason, I mean, first of all, it's full of smart, caring, kind, considerate, driven, thoughtful, helpful, creative people. And so that's what's kept me there for 16 years and intrapreneurialism. So not entrepreneurialism, but intrapreneurialism with an I, which means starting something within your company. And Ginger, the reason it never occurred to me stay or go and still hasn't, I'm so happy and thriving at Google, is because I kind of built it a little bit by accident at first. Now it's very intentional. How I scale it and how I grow it is very intentional. 
But initially, it was Own Your Career started as me moving from a sales team in New York City to a technical team in Boulder. And I just wrote down the 15 tips that helped me land my next job because I figured, again, loving data that three years, four years down the line, I'd want to revisit that list and see what helped me be successful to remind myself of what worked. I love pattern mapping. What are the things that make things work? And then it went a little bit viral and that my black and white doc with 15 bullets started getting shared with people. I would do a ton of mentorship, oftentimes to women and other folks from historically underrepresented groups in tech. And before they set up time with me, I'd say, it'll be more efficient if you take a look at this doc first and then we'll meet. And so then it started scaling more and getting shared with more people. I put a little bit of design around it. And I know that you're in the creative space and a big thought leader in design and creativity and branding. And so with just a little bit of design, lots of white space, that logo that I sent out, you know, I had a little logo competition. I know, it was great. The paper people. airplane, it all makes sense yeah, now. Yeah, I know, I know, exactly. So wait, did you see a gap and said, I see this as an opportunity? I did see a gap. I saw a gap because in all the one-on-one mentorship I was doing, there was one single theme that was a through line of the conversations I was having. Most people struggled in ways that were somehow rooted in confidence. And everything I do through Own Your Career is about increasing confidence, increasing confidence in your ability to have impact day to day, increasing your confidence in your ability to apply for your next role within Google. So the gap I saw was that we lose sleep at night worrying about that typo in the email that we sent to our VP. We wake up with a start in the morning because we sent that really important email. Nobody responded to it. So am I worthless? Am I not valued? Did I do it wrong? Am I not smart? Am I not capable? And this goes back to the tiny million actions we take as opposed to having some big life-changing pivot decision. It's these tiny actions that I try to help with and coach on that I hope can build confidence in people. So for example, here's a tiny one. The word yet, it's one small word, three letters, and it is so powerful to add it to the end of any sentence where you are criticizing yourself or limiting yourself. Let's say you want to be a manager one day and you say, but I'm not a manager. You add the word yet to that and it changes the whole dynamic of the sentence. You're talking about attitude. You're talking about internal attitude and internal narrative that's in your head. Absolutely. And growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as you were building this early on, what signals were you getting that told you to keep going? Because women live in a permission-based environment everywhere we live. So did you look for a green light? Did you see a green light? Were you getting signs from people? Because here's the thing, if you are entrepreneurial, there are some companies that are really not designed for you to work there because the company wants you to build their brand and their products, not your own. The thing that's beautiful about Google is people that work at Google are entrepreneurial thinking and they work with entrepreneurs and small business owners. So I feel like there's a culture that cultivates this opportunity, but still, even within that culture, there has to be a sign that tells you to keep going. And I'm asking you this because I want you to share with other women and men that are listening to this podcast and maybe teenagers too. What do you need to look for to give you the courage to say, yes, I'm going to keep going and build this while I have a day job? Yeah, positive feedback definitely helped. So there were some early signs that it was resonating well with people, really well. And people emailing me things like, this is the reason I got my next job within Google. This is the reason I have 
felt confident having the conversation with my manager around wanting to get promoted. This is the reason that I have intentionally built my network. So for sure, the positive feedback helped. But when people ask, how did I build something from zero to tens of thousands of people benefiting from it? I say, I paved it. And PAVE stands for passion, ask, volunteers, and engagement. So pick something you're passionate about. I'm so passionate about this topic of helping lift others that when I sit down to write tips, it flows from my brain, down my arms, through my fingertips, onto my keyboard without it feeling like work. That's P for passion. A for ask, ask people to help you. And this could be men, this could be women. This gets back to what we were talking about earlier with just ask, just ask for the manager. Follow somebody out of the room and ask them to be your mentor. Or if you're an introvert, there are so many ways you can do this in a way that feels authentic to you. Maybe you're emailing somebody and you're asking in a more subtle way, but ask people to help. I asked at least 50 senior VPs and directors at Google for their feedback, which in turn made them supporters of the program because people need to weigh in to buy in. V is for volunteers. It got to a point where it was so much bigger than I could handle. So I, like you mentioned, I did the logo contest. I asked for volunteers to both create logos. I never thought of it as, here we go, free creative Crowdsourcing, design. that's a free whole other podcast. Oh right, no, that's totally. another podcast. We will definitely have another one on that. That just gave me an idea. <laughs> so what does the E stand for? You said PAVE. So the V is volunteers. I asked for volunteers. And then the E stands for engaging. And that comes down to the branding, the simple design, the white space. Every email tip I share is under two minutes. I think people have short attention spans. Thank you, social media, for creating that for us. And I make it simple. I make it clean. I make it easy. I make it bite-sized. I make it snackable. And I make it I love that. slick and very, very intentional on the branding. So that's the make it engaging. So P-A-V-E, passion, ask, volunteers, and engaging. So you talk a lot about passion. Do you actually have to have passion to be successful? I mean, people are talking about this a lot now. They're just like, you have to be passionate about the thing. It has to feel like it's not work in order for you to be successful. I mean, I mean, can't you be successful and hate your job at the same time? <laughs> I mean, what you know, I want you to talk about this a little bit. I actually don't think you have to be passionate because I've had jobs at Google where I wasn't that passionate. I've been there 16 years. I've had a handful of different jobs. Some I'm more passionate about, others I'm less passionate about, but I always find something that can energize me. And by the way, one of the cool things about Google is because there are these formalized 20% projects, because it is an environment where creativity and innovation is not just allowed, but it's encouraged. We also encourage things like going to improv class, which I used to go to every Thursday before the pandemic. We encourage things like join an ERG, like women ad or photography or whatever it is. So I think that even if you're not passionate about your day job, and I happen to be passionate about my day job, when I think back to the times in the roles at Google where eh, maybe it wasn't my number one thing I was most passionate about, I was always able to round it out with other things at the company that really made me feel whole. You'll never get 100% of your needs met by any one job or partner or friendship. So I believe in diversifying your experience at any company and filling in any passion gaps with other stuff. So what motivates you to keep going? I mean, in your mind, you mentioned you're working on a book mm -hmm. and you know, you just built this beautiful new website. It's jennywood.com with this amazing photograph with like the wind blowing your hair with hoop earrings. Get what you want unapologetically. I love that. That totally aligns with everything you're saying. 
I mean, tell me what motivates you. How do you keep going? This is a lot. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you haven't even fully realized the impact of the work you're doing. And I don't want you to tell me I do yoga, I meditate. Like, I'm tired of hearing that. (laughs) I mean, come on now. Let's just like cut it out. I love yoga. I love meditation. Don't get twisted. But, you know, are you eating like protein bars? What's going on? (laughs) I don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee. I do hike every day. Okay. I live right by some hiking trails, but I feel like that answer is too much like yoga and meditation. So that's probably on the not allowed list (laughs) for that answer. It's the not allowed list. Exactly. Not allowed list. What motivates me? Can I say something that's 50% not PC? Yeah. Okay. Of course. This is the Honest Field Guide podcast. Uh, Okay. So the 50% part that is PC and also very, very true is I genuinely love helping people. If I weren't at Google, I'd want to be an elementary school math teacher because I love seeing the light bulb go off when someone gets it. And if getting it is simply helping somebody understand how to write an email to land a mentor, then that is an exciting light bulb to see go off. So that is the 50% that is genuinely loving helping people. Love it. The non-PC part and the honest part is, I think there is a little bit of ego in it, Ginger. I do. It feels I'm really so good. I'm so glad you said that. Oh it my feels God. It really, really good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I just said to somebody, why does nobody ever talk about ego? And I yeah. always bring it up like, look, just be honest with yourself, please. Yeah, totally. And I had a conversation with a mentor of mine and we were on a hike having kind of like a mentorship hiking meeting. And I said, how do I balance my genuine desire to help people with the fact that it feels really great when someone emails me and says, Jenny, you've changed my life. I'm like, what? I changed your life. That's insane. But oh my gosh, does that make my brain feel good? And he said, you can have both. One does not discount the other. You can have the desire to help and the ego at the same time, and they can live peacefully coexisting. And it does feel really good. I love it. I love it. I think that is so amazing and honest of you to say that. And if more people would just admit that they have an ego and they're comfortable with that ego, this world would be a much better place. I mean, listen, I know I have one. I'm not even gonna lie. Like I have it. Why would you? I admit it. I know. Why wouldn't you? Exactly. You know, so much of the work that I do and so much of the thought leadership that I share with the world is about how to navigate politics. It's about stakeholder management. It's about influencing people. Well, guess what is at the root of all politics or organizational behavior? Ego, yours, other people's. Like ego is the root of so much. I mean, we'd be fools to not acknowledge it. And it's funny that it felt uncomfortable for me to say it. And I so appreciate your reaction to it, celebrating it because it's odd how much we feel that it needs to be shrouded. But you say we, I think it's women. Ah, interesting. No, I think it's women. Okay. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think we are not allowed. Like I said earlier, we live in a permission-based environment, women, all over the world, not just American women, all women. So I think if women would just accept that they have needs that, sure. that need to be met and they need to be happy and they need to feel joy and feel very successful and they need to embrace the fact that they make a lot of money and more mm-hmm. than the man, for example, you know, we just need to own some of that. And it's hard for us to do it. It's easy to say it, but it's really hard to do it and live it. It's really hard. It takes a special person to be able to 
push back their peer pressure to not be like that, you know, to not be like that. You talked about it earlier when you were a kid, like you're just like, I'm not following that path. Like I'm resisting that the act of resistance in that way is very difficult in an environment where people want you to conform. I mean, and the same goes for men, you know, men that decide that they're going to help a woman be successful. If you look back to when you were a really little kid, boys got bullied on the playground if they sided with the girl. You know, and that doesn't change when you get to the corporate environment. There's men in the corporate environment that are steadfastly, quietly helping women. And there's a reason that they're quietly helping women in the workplace. I mean, it's a longer conversation. I don't want to jump deeply down that rabbit hole because you and I can talk about that offline forever. I want to understand what is next for you, Jenny. Like, what are your plans for yourself? And this isn't about, I'm going to stay at Google forever. It's really a little bit broader. You know, do you hope this scales like I am remarkable across the globe? Or maybe it already has, and I just don't know it yet. Like, what are you trying to do? What's the ultimate outcome you're looking to get from all this amazing work you're doing? I would love to give seven minutes back each night to millions of people around the world. And I want that seven minutes to be seven more minutes of sleep because they're less anxious about how to navigate something at work. They're less stressed about the fact that nobody has yet responded to their email on the leadership chain. They're less distraught about the ums that they had in their presentation. I wanna give seven minutes back of sleep each night to millions of people. <laughs> It's the honest truth, guys. I need the ums. I need the, I mean, I think I was thinking last night, I taped myself in the car in advance of this podcast, listening to how many times I say, um, and you just said something that gives me the anxiety. I need my seven minutes back, Jenny. <laughs> I do. It's so true. That, it's real. That means you haven't nailed your ums yet. Okay. I love it. I haven't nailed my ums yet. Which by the way, you're a phenomenal speaker. <laughs> I don't think I've noticed a single um. <laughs> you know what? I'm hearing it in my head. I think I'm hearing the ums in my head. That's what's going on. So let me ask you some really quick hit questions. Okay. These are, this is like what I love at the end of the podcast. We've had some really great conversation in the pandemic. I have to tell you, we're still kind of in it. We're still in it. It's not over yet. I know some people are like, it's all over. And we're still dealing with the post pandemic mindset, the post pandemic work, walking through the world. We're, we're seeing the impact on our children. All those things are still happening. So you have to acknowledge that. When I was in the pandemic, I ate a lot of cereal. I swear to you, I know this is really crazy, but I am now obsessed officially with Lucky Charms. It's like I went back to my childhood, post-Raisin Bran and Raisin Nut Bran. Those are the three cereals that I eat ad nauseum. I don't stop. Do you have a cereal? Are you a cereal eater? I love cereal almost as much as I love helping people <laughs> achieve their goals. <laughs> almost. Almost tied. Yeah, easy breezy, lemon squeezy. It's pops. I mean, that's like a big, giant, crunchy cereal. I mean, that's like some serious mouth action. That yeah, one, for real. Serious mouth action. Also, <laughs> I have talked already about how weird I am. I put ice cubes in my cereal, and now my daughter I do does too. too. You do, really? Yes. Yes, the I do. The milk has to be ice the cold. Milk, the milk has to be ice cold. It I swear to God. Cold. People looked at me like I was crazy. Like, what are you doing? I'm oh like, I cannot have lukewarm milk in my cereal. That's nasty. We're going to go out. I swear. Why are we like this? Why are we like this? Oh, my God. Ice cold this is bizarre. I know. Cereal. I know. It's so funny. Um, okay. So let me talk about books. What are you reading right now? Are you reading anything at all? 
I am. I am reading The Long Game by Dory Clark. And my favorite Ooh. piece from there is the intentionality around what you spend your time on and what you don't spend your time on and how every single yes can lead to 10 other yeses downstream. So let's say I say yes to a keynote internally at Google. And I think it's just one simple yes, no problem, 30 minutes of my time. But then it's Oh, can you tweak the topic to talk about this? Can you use this different platform? Can you download this new technology because we're going to use, you know, a different streaming service for this keynote? Can you fill out this briefing doc for us about what the talk will be about? So, so many, I just named four or five yeses right there. And so just when you're thinking about intentionality and what you focus on versus what you don't focus on, keep in mind that every single thing you say yes to can lead to up to 10 downstream yeses. Wow. And that's, you got to really decide. Yes, you do. Someone else said, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Yeah. Love it. I'm going to have to get that one for sure. All right. So dress for success. So yeah, I want to talk about, I know it's like we're women and I'm like, why are you asking about fashion? Well, I have to, because we've been in a pandemic for two years and we've been on Zoom. So performance culture is way worse on Zoom than it is in real life. It is crazy. I never thought I would say that. It's like, what is happening? You know, I want you to tell me about your fashion that you're wearing, especially as it relates to owning your career as a woman in business. What is happening with you in fashion? So I have a clear fashion strategy and it has evolved of late, but for 15 years at Google, my fashion strategy was sneakers, jeans, t-shirt, blazer, every single day, Monday through Friday. I have, same. I have 23 identical blazers in different patterns and colors, all the same brand. And it's the Steve Jobs strategy. It is reducing the decision fatigue in the morning of deciding what to wear. It's why he wore the black mock turtleneck every day. And he's gone on record to say that he reduces decision fatigue by simply wearing the same thing to free up his brain to make more important decisions later in the day. So sneakers, jeans, t-shirt, blazer every single day. Yeah. I mean, fashion has always been an issue for women. And again, depending on your culture, the way you were raised, you know, the people you looked at when you were growing up, how they dressed, it really does have an impact on your self-esteem as you're going into the workplace, because you're not sure what you're supposed to look like or how you're supposed to dress or if it's appropriate or not. You're not sure what you're supposed to do. And, you know, it's just really interesting what you can do when you decide as a woman just kind of do things without fear and without worrying about what other people think about you, whether you are doing that intentionally or not, it really does help women survive and thrive in business specifically. In order to get to the next level of whatever that is, you do have to have some kind of space inside of you that has no fear of consequences if you make a mistake or fail. And that's what you've described this entire conversation. And I love that about you. And I'm so grateful, Jenny, that we had this conversation. But alas, we're out of time. And this was so fantastic. I want everyone to find Jenny at itsjennywood.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Honest Field Guide podcast and staying with me all of these couple of years I've been running it. I'm so grateful and so honored to have talked to Jenny. I am Ginger. And I'm Jenny. And thank you, everybody, for coming. And we will talk with you next time on the Honest Field Guide. Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carroll. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter. The opinions expressed on the Honest Field Guide are opinions only. Please do your own research.